Hello and welcome to Tea Cake Book, the podcast that covers everything creative writing and reading. I'm Anna Quick, a fiction novelist, avid reader and keen tea drinker, which may not sound like a noteworthy attribute, but as will become apparent over the next few episodes, is a crucial part of the writing and reading process, at least for me. Today we're going to be talking about the whole notion of storytelling and why we feel the need to both tell and listen to created tales. I'm joined today by Jenny Burnham, a fiction enthusiast, speed alpha and beta reader and fellow tea drinker. Welcome Jenny, you're my first guest, I hope you feel suitably honoured. Hello, yes absolutely very honoured, thank you. (laughs) Well thank you for joining us and um, firstly before we start can I ask you what an alpha reader does? So basically I get sent the very first brand new hot off the press copy of uh, of books, usually Anna's. Um, I do half read for one other person as well, but uh, yeah, I get the unedited, as it comes... The bare bones. Bare bones books. And it's about giving that honest feedback of what's working, what's not, asking the questions, and sometimes just simply, does the book have legs? Is there anywhere it can go. Should should we carry on writing yes. it basically? Should we carry on or stop now? <laughs> that must be quite difficult to get a book that is so basic in its um, sort of the, the sense that it's brand new and it really hasn't been edited and it hasn't been completely polished. Do you find that quite difficult to read? It, it does depend on the book. There are some <laughs> books that um, if it's just got an absolute gem of an idea, even when there's times you do, it can be where you get the sentences that just the grammar's gone off or you've got to read it four times to get the meaning because it hasn't yet been edited and then you've got to get yourself back in the yeah in the flow of the story so there are times you go right hang on I've got to go back a bit and I'm gonna now I've worked out what that means I'm just gonna like go back and skip it see if it flows yeah yeah yeah. and and like mentally put what that sentence should say I think so there, there can be challenges in that and I've got to just avoid noticing the grammatical errors or the spelling errors or the typos or all of that but then equally, it's something really exciting because you think, I'm the first person to ever read this book. Yeah. And that can be, that can be just so exciting. And you never know what you're going to get. Yes. When I get a message from Anna saying, I've got a new <laughs> book, it can literally be anything. anything. <laughs> and there's something really exciting. And you, you often say, oh, it's a this book, it's a that book. You'll give me a little blurb, I suppose. But you don't really know what you're getting until that email pings in and it's then a bit like, like a little present a little bit, yeah <laughs> and it's like oh I'm gonna you know I'm gonna and I always set time aside to do it so it's not rushed and then there's it yeah there's excitement yeah there is definitely things yeah, about it can it. be stressful as well yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to know it's not all completely uh, strenuous and horrible no, activity so it's just it, you know from that point of view it's yeah a, it's a plan sometimes I'm like no it's run out because you rarely get the whole book in one go which get is it in the chunks. other yeah, yeah. Well, I shall endeavour to write another chunk for you soon. Um, so with that in mind, tell me what um, sort of books you enjoy. What do you like reading? By and large, anything. There's very little I don't read. Um, I don't do a lot of horror, but I will read it. But um, I love fantasy books. I'm reading my way through all the Wheel of Time books, the Robert Jordan books at the moment. Um, I love uh, anything, really, I suppose, the fantasy stuff, particularly the kind of Arthur, Arthurian yeah. legend style ones. Um, I like romances, but not, I suppose, not a full chick one, but I do like a romance. Yeah. 
Um, I suppose I should ask, is there anything you don't like? <laughs> other than full-on horror, yeah, not not really. Not really. And that, folks, is why she's such a good beta <laughs> and alpha reader, because you can give her anything and she doesn't mind. Yeah. It's the beauty of being in book clubs over the years, <laughs> yeah. is I've just trained myself to read. doesn't mean I enjoy everything I ever read, but I will give anything a, a go. Which is fantastic. <laughs> you're definitely, you've got, a, even as a writer, you've definitely got a broader, I think, um, palette for books than I have. I'm, I tend to be a little bit more genre-led, but um, we maybe will come on to that another time. <laughs> so our subject matter today is all about uh, stories, um, why we tell them, why we read them. Um, and we're going to open with the question, why do we tell stories? Now, as a writer, I feel this is perhaps where I need to come in a little more. And when we get on to why we read, that's perhaps more... Um, Jenny's area but um, it would be an interesting discussion I think because actually this takes us right back to essentially the beginning of mankind (laughs) and that sort of caveman sitting around a fire grunting at each other in a sense it's it's that sort of initial communication isn't it Um, what do you think would you say is the human beings need to create with just as you're saying because in my day job I'm a nursery teacher so even my three-year-olds have this innate need to create and they want to role play and tell stories and paint and draw even if the outcomes don't look anything like because they're fine motor skills aren't there Mm. there is just something in us that wants to tell something tell a story share a part of us try something new that let's pretend mentality it is a huge huge aspect of all of us it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, you sort of think, well, why? Why do we feel that need to sort of... It almost results from reality, in a sense, yeah. and, and and put ourselves in a, a different place. Um, I've got a, a brilliant quote in front of me, if I can pronounce his name properly, by Dieter F. Uchtdorf, who said, the desire to create is one of the deepest yearnings of the human soul. So I'm wondering whether it's a, a sort of an inbuilt mm. thing, almost, that we need to... Um, express ourselves in some way um and and I wonder why why I think is what I'm trying to get to the bottom of where does that come from what is that need to to take ourselves out of reality and put ourselves into a story or to to tell a story in some way a big part of it's going to be exploration Mm. and that I want to explore another life another um thing that isn't mine to try something new sometimes it's a safe way to try something new yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. Mm. That, uh, if, certainly you, as a writer, I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, you can, you can go and when you paint a picture, particularly when you not pay, I mean, I, I know you, you're an artist as well, when you're painting and, and it's not for an audience. No. There's total freedom to just go whatever direction you want to go. Yeah. And, and it's just that need to get something inside of you So if I was feeling particularly angry about something, I could get one of my characters to smash something up or to murder someone. And actually, it's almost a way of releasing that within myself, but not actually suffering any of the consequences. I I play piano not particularly well, but as a teenager, my parents said they could always tell what mood I'd come home from school in because I'd sit down at the piano and I'd play something. And if it was in a bad mood, it would be to cut us, you know, the food, <laughs> you know, it would be something, Phantom of the Opera, something yes. loud and big. Bash it yeah, out. Yeah, bash it out on the piano. <laughs> if I was sad, it'd be a lot of some Debussy would come out. <clears throat> Just uh, that for me was that release of mm-hmm. how my day had been without, like I said, raging around the house and screaming and slamming doors. Yeah. So in some ways, this creation can feed into 
that as well in whatever form because this is this is partly about writing but this is mm. bigger than just writing it, it is writing yeah. a story and obviously we talk we're talking about writing um, specifically because this is a, um, mm-hmm. a podcast about writing and reading um, but um, obviously alongside that we can't completely separate writing from all the other creative arts and of course they get, often go very hand yeah, in hand in much, that yeah. writing then often feeds into the film and television industry yeah. and then that obviously encompasses all the actors and the people that create all the, the backdrops and the the art etc 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 and um, um, and so in talking about one, we're almost encompassing a much bigger thing, um, which I think is really interesting. Mm. And I, I wonder whether actually that need to create follows through into all of those things. So the need to express oneself through dance, for example, Absolutely. or through, um, I don't know, making a sculpture or, or whatever it might be, whether that's the same need or whether it's something different. Is, is storytelling a separate thing, do you think? Do you think that's a different thing? Because it's storytelling sort of goes so far back in the sense that Mm. we can trace it back really a very very long way we've got documents and and books and things from from long before we've got records of other things um with perhaps the exception of art cave paintings (laughs) etc um and so I wonder I wonder how we separate can we separate the arts I I realize we've gone off on a bit of a tangent but I think it is I think it's a relevant tangent in that can we separate them or are they all no because there was the history of storytelling has got as well the fact there wasn't any way writing things down Mm. so it was how you made sure your family history continued how you made sure your um life continued Mm. how people of the next generation knew you know, even like grandma's cake recipe, you know, it was <laughs> how you made sure it, it. We always joke in our family meals, wider family with my parents, that at some point my dad will start telling some family history stories. Yes. Because for him, family history is vital. Mm. So he will always, particularly if grandchildren are around, start telling some story or other, usually designed to embarrass us. <laughs> and it's, it's that storytelling. He doesn't mm. want things, and he mm. is also writing it out. But that storytelling, yeah, it's almost it's almost um, like you say, keeping uh, the the memories alive, but also placing us very firmly where we are now. Because without that history and without those stories of where we came from, we can't really understand who we are or why yeah. we are here now or where we are now. Um, so, in a sense, it's an understanding of ourselves, isn't it? Telling stories in order to sort of further ourselves. Um, but I wonder as well if there's a, a more basic and um, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a more fun. Um, side to telling stories that goes beyond that deep need to kind of uh, like you say keep the history going mm. or, or whatever um, and I, I think about Albert Einstein saying creativity is intelligence <laughs> having fun which is rather lovely yeah. um, sometimes we can get very serious can't we yeah, you know? okay. um, I, I think about uh, my friends who are brilliant mathematicians or brilliant <laughs> scientists who I'm not saying I don't have a sense yeah. of humor at all <laughs> um, but I wonder whether sometimes you know that that real intelligence just sometimes needs to go and you know almost explode out into yeah. some form of creativity whether you're an artist or a creator or not being able to express yourself in some way is a way of releasing that intelligence in a fun way it wasn't Einstein himself like a notorious joker well yeah quite and actually is, is humour a really integral part of and humour is a story yeah it's a massive part of storytelling even like telling a joke yes you're telling a story it's a it's a huge quite often not all jokes are but a lot no. of jokes are storytelling my jokes are dreadful incidentally for a writer <laughs> i've got about three good jokes <laughs> just keep chatting them out it's fine. well i think my friends will heard them about <laughs> 10 times they're the only ones i have um so 
coming on to our next topic, um, but very much within the same um, vein, why do we read? Mm. Um, which I think is looking at it from the other side and perhaps where you might be able to give me a bit more insight. Obviously, I'm a reader. You can't really be a writer without being a reader. But I'm interested as someone who is such a voracious reader and you sort of devour books rather like I devour uh, biscuits. Um, <laughs> I'm interested to know um, what your thoughts are on this. Is reading just about escapism, education? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think that really does depend on the reader because we have a friend who only reads non-fiction and I can't imagine that because no. non-fiction is probably the thing I read the least. For me, reading is escapism. Yeah, that is exactly... And I think that's why I love so much fantasy because I can go out of my day-to-day that I really enjoy my job and I'm happy with that but it can be very monotonous being a teacher to come home and then go into the world of the dragon reborn that I'm reading at the moment mm. totally removed from my life totally different pure escapism and I can go into that world and I find I particularly read in bed before I go to sleep yeah and I find it helps my mind stop thinking about my day my job what I'm going to do next and go into a different world and then I fall asleep or if you're like me, you read three lines and fall asleep I mean, because, the, because you're getting old and your eyes can't focus after about 10 o'clock at night. I do now read on a Kindle, which I notice a lot of purist readers is like shocking. <gasps> I know. Collective gasp. Well, uh, because I now wear glasses to read and I can't wear my glasses in bed because I can't lie down with them on so I can make my Kindle large. That's predominantly why I read <laughs> on my Kindle. We've reached that age, yes, Jenny. I we've reached, reached the age where it's a large print. And... Um, and quite often, I don't always realise I've fallen asleep because my dreams will just pick up on the Oh, no, story. that's interesting. Sometimes mm. to a point where I then go back the next day and I'm like, this isn't the plot that happened because I've dreamt yes. a chunk of it. So, and I will just fall asleep uh, holding the Kindle. And the beauty of the Kindle, of course, is it bookmarks where you are yes so exactly I, yeah. I, I have it. to just say at this point readers it would be f- completely unfair for me not to point out that I also have a Kindle <laughs> yeah. as much as I love a physical book in no, my I hand like physical book, but yes. <laughs> I do also have yeah a I need to read on the there Kindle. are other e-readers available yes, yes sorry <laughs> <laughs> um it does make me laugh so this is a complete side but I fall asleep with my thumb pressed over it because I keep my thumb over it so I, you highlight I read, passages I, do, <laughs> I highlight random words like the and so I will turn it on the next day and the Kindle is helpfully telling me a definition of the word I'm sure my Kindle thinks I'm some kind <laughs> <laughs> kind of idiot because I've well there you go reading I like the and word education the. yes education. education I do read for education I do I, I like things like a lot of books I read are World War Two books because that's a personal area of history so it would be um women spies in World War Two it's quite a there's a fabulous series about Bletchley Park um couldn't tell you titles because there's <laughs> Anna knows I am shocking at book titles uh, so there, but I like the education aspect, but that wouldn't be why yeah. I'm drawn to reading. But there are definitely people. My husband reads nonfiction. I do actually. I read a lot of nonfiction because um, you know I have a very strange and weird and uh, inexplicable leaning towards the history of the American West, and I tend to read a oh, lot of books cool. about Quite a lot of what he's reading. <laughs> it as well, is. Yeah. It is. And in fact, I have borrowed a lot of his yeah. uh, book collection. Um, but that is um, that's a particular thing of, of mine, and that uh, it is partly um, fun to read about it. But yeah, for me, it's learning. It's, I, I love the learning side of it, um, and I find it inspiring. Actually, as a writer, I find that I. I read things in those books that then suddenly make me think oh that would be a really good story hence writing foundling which was a book long in the making um born of my love of the american west and um from having read all those history books 
it, it inspired me to write that story and um, I still say that's that's probably the book that I have enjoyed writing mm. the most probably because I've soaked up all that information over the years and it needed somewhere to go so again it's that needing to express yeah. what I've taken in so I think that for me um, reading is often about education um, but like you I love to just get lost in a fiction book yeah. and just completely absorb myself and you know I'm a massive fan of historical fiction um, like all all sorts of books within that particular genre um, but I will I will read almost anything almost anything. <laughs> just don't bring your chitlick yeah. at me <laughs> can't do chiclets yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there are some wonderful ones out there I just can't get on with it but um and, and I'm, I'm sure probably would be contacted now by people yes. going, this yeah. book's amazing this book's amazing and I'm sure I'm sure there are many amazing books and, and uh, feel free to uh, contact us and let us know what you enjoy reading and uh, what you're reading at the moment that'd be really interesting to know actually um so we have a brilliant quote from Dr. Zeus, or Zeus, as I was told. It's actually oh, pronounced by okay. a German friend of mine. Um, so let's give him his proper name, Dr. Zeus, who said, the more that you read, the more things you will know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. I'm sure a really familiar quote for all of us, particularly you as a I think up in school <laughs> library around the country. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so true. The more you read, the more things you'll know. It sounds really obvious, but yeah. of course it no, is that yeah. expanding our brain. Um, and that needs to suck up information um which i think is is you really can important feel like you traveled the world with a good book absolutely and in fact that brings me on i have another quote sitting here which i really love it by of course the wonderful george rr R. martin uh, game of thrones author who uh, said a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies the man who never reads lives only one Ooh, that's rather like lovely that, isn't yes. it that's rather lovely and it is it is putting ourselves actually in the position of someone else and if you find a character you can really empathize with or you really um you, you just really connect with in some way be they the traditional goodie or baddie yeah. if you like uh for whatever reason you connect with them um you do almost feel like you're on that journey with them you're almost you're almost taking that life yeah alongside your own um and i rather like that because i think actually that's for me the reason I will pick up fiction is to almost live another life like yes. you say travel or yeah. explore someone else's feelings or and put yourself in someone else's position um as a writer is that why I write now that's really interesting or to explore somebody else <laughs> certainly to explore other people while. like we said that way of being able to release our own thoughts and feelings in a safe way for mm. sure um but certainly to um perhaps explore characteristics that I don't have um, that I would like to have, <laughs> or perhaps characteristics I do have that I really wish I didn't, and it's a way of or exploring sometimes that. those kind of slightly naughty things that you, 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 or not naughty, but that you shouldn't really yes. explore. Yes. But you get to explore by writing a villain or a bad character exactly. or yeah. something that you can just put out there. You're never going to go and do that in real life because, no, for whatever reason, but you can go and explore it writing I can remember going to hear a talk by the, the absolutely wonderful Ken Follett of course Pillars of the Earth and uh, he was talking about his character William Hanley in that amazing book I don't if you haven't read it I urge you to go and read it I'm about to do a reread actually because it's an absolutely fantastic um, really epic um, novel and he said he wrote that character purely to see if he could write a character that had absolutely no redeeming features whatsoever zero because even with our so-called baddies for want of a better word although I really dislike that word um you usually you find at least something yeah. you can empathize with or at least something that you think well I, they're awful but I can kind of see why they're awful yeah. and um and he said no he wanted to give him absolutely zero redeeming features to see if he could write a character that was so hateable yeah <laughs> and 
I mean, he really did he achieve it. He achieved it. What was so interesting was when they came to make the TV series. I'm just thinking exactly <laughs> the same thing. They, 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 had to give, they had to give him yeah, a redeeming feature because he just came across as so I hated that for him. So did I. Interesting, isn't it? But I found him fascinating to read because here was this villain who was this complete oh. and utter awful him. just did awful things for the sake of doing yep. awful things and that had come from nowhere he had a privileged upbringing he was insane he you know there were no excuses for no. him um but that made him a really fascinating character to me and actually as a writer that made ken follett a really interesting yeah because uh, you loved to hate him exactly and you could definitely explore that life and as a reader it was like that going back to the George R. R. Martin quote you could kind of explore that life I never ever want to do any you know <laughs> any of the things or, he did or experience knowing somebody like him mm. but that book is sort of a safe like I could hate him yes, exactly. and I could yes. loathe and detest him and I could root for everybody that he hurt or yes. did anything to in a sort of safe yes, it didn't, environment. Yes, it didn't impact anyone externally, no. which is yeah, exactly a, a good and, and safe place. Um, so maybe we've answered a whole kind of <laughs> a very broad thing about why I mean, you did start with read. really simple questions like, why do we read? It's a very small <laughs> little topic. <laughs> Hopefully we've picked up at least a yeah. few things. I'm sure there are probably loads we haven't, but um, I think we're, we're getting somewhere, um, which leads us very neatly on to our final part. Um, so part three, what makes a story engaging? Mm. Um, and I think about novel, not just novels here, but TV shows, films as well, as well that rely on the shock factor. Mm. Um, is that what makes a story engaging? I feel like we used to sort of have fairly simple, easy, gentle little TV shows. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm probably giving away my age um, where, you know, if anything really big or shocking happened, it was massive. And nowadays yeah. we've gone so far because we've, we've sort of overstepped that mark each time. We're having to shock constantly in order to get that reaction from the viewer or the reader. Um, and I wonder whether that is actually a good thing um a necessary thing whether we've gone too far is that the only thing that makes a story engaging i think in a lot of ways the shock factor particularly it often comes through more in american tv than ours we do still have quite a few um all creatures great and small and call the midwife one, uh, one of my favorites all creatures we, great we and small. do have all of these kind of more gentle <clears throat> programs well yes. like, it's not that they don't have things happen no um it, yeah, but it's sort of things like, oh, I didn't manage to save the cow. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I think in America, their TV is so big, the market is massively oversaturated. Now you've got all those streaming platforms going with TV on demand all the time that they've got to make you come back to watch the next episode. Yeah. So um, we're watching. We, we, my husband and I, if you watched, our, look back at our TV viewing, you think we're up to something because we watch a lot <laughs> of things with murder in the title or, you know, forensic pathology or, yeah. you know, detectives and things on those lines. But they do almost every episode seems to end on a cliffhanger yeah. or puts their um, cast in peril in some way. And um, uh, even down to sort of as an Australian program like called Sea Patrol, it's like the neighbours on neighbour set on a 
a naval boat, you know, <laughs> something. And they are probably the most the most appalling crew because I mean they're taken hostage and is uh, it like Midsummer Murders but on a boat? Much, you know, <laughs> every people, week someone dies. Every week someone dies. <laughs> Somebody people manage to take over this you know so called navy boat constantly. Probably because everyone died. They need someone to take over. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I mean, it, I what it, it is. It's light TV. It's not mm. anything heavy. But even they can't quite resist this shock factor yeah even even though this program could be quite an interesting one about the lives of these people on this very small boat they can't quite resist yeah putting in these endless to the point you're like do you guys actually work for the australian navy because you're pretty lousy <laughs> as, as sailors actually and, and i find we become desensitized yeah. to it I, I find that the more of that sort of stuff that i watch i kind of think yeah and, and actually Lately. it almost has the opposite effect on me where i find myself kind of slightly not put off but i'm just not affected by it anymore and actually I've started rereading with my daughter the, um, funny you should mention it, but the All Creatures Great and Small Books. And we find ourselves roaring with laughter about the most simple things. There's nothing, um, there's a scene where James Herriot tries to put on a, a, a rubber suit for carving um yeah. a cow and and he gets stuck in it and we were roaring with laughter and I suddenly thought my goodness there's no shock in this no. there's nothing particularly dramatic happening but it was so brilliantly written yeah um and I'd forgotten how funny it was and and, and the fact that it still had the ability to make me laugh because I first read the books when I was much much younger um but all those years later it still had the ability to make me laugh something so simple yeah. but clever writing and it it makes me sort of wonder how how necessary the um the shock value is um and, and what makes the story engaging actually without that um and i think um it's, it's sort of almost don't shock without value isn't it well he's um, also lived that james exactly, Harry lived a lot of it and mm. i think a lot of the time writers are writing things i'm thinking the big um massive yes uh, sort of tv ones they're writing things they've not lived or experienced and have no concept of i mean a key one is it always smacks when you've got an all-male writing team writing a woman although a lot mm-hmm. of times you can that will jump up because they're trying and to make this... And vice versa, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they're trying to make a strong woman, but they're basically writing her like a man. Like because a man. they can't yes. think of any Quite. other way. Or Because we write what we know. So yeah. I like, from the same point of view, again, don't ask me his name. We'll have to look it up and maybe <laughs> add it in later. But uh, Gervais Finn. Just oh, well in. done. I know, all of a sudden. <laughs> Gervais Finn was an off- a teacher, very similar, basically in the same sort of world as all creatures, great and small mm. in rural. And then he became an Ofsted inspector. And he went round and inspected schools, rural, tiny village yeah. schools. And um, he, uh, the, one, the book is called Our Wayne in a Manger, because that's what this group of children thought, a way in a manger. They thought, they thought Jesus, baby Jesus was called Wayne, <laughs> and it was Our Wayne in a Manger. And it's hysterical, the stories he tells of going in. So humour, we're, we're both, humor I think what we're both big... saying here, that actually humour is really important to engage people as well. Yes. Actually, interestingly, I've written um, some fairly heavy, as you know, <laughs> having read the alpha version, the beta version, and the final version, um, some fairly heavy historical novels that, cu- that really deal with some fairly um, deep and heavy and difficult subject matters. But I still find I have to put humour in, because actually yes. the human condition is that we don't always even it's when life is difficult otherwise. well even when life is difficult we laugh don't we we yeah. try and make each other laugh and we find humor in things and we find the positive and the best laugh, in cry. and if you wrote a story no matter how dark and difficult it is um without humor actually 
you you put yourself at a disadvantage because it doesn't then smack of real life. Yeah. Um, because there's humour to be found even in the darkest situations. And I think, um, I've, I don't know if you've watched recently on TV, uh, It's an 18, folks. So if you're listening to this and you're not 18, please don't go there. But the very wonderful Dharma um, on Netflix, uh, obviously about the serial killer Jeffrey Dharma. And um, and even within that and all the awful things that he was doing and all the awful things that was happening, there's a, there's a lot of humour. Yes. Um, and actually he was known as being quite a charismatic and humorous man. And I don't think in storytelling you can depict uh, the the darkness or you even with the shock factor I think alongside that there has to be that lightness and that um, yeah. that humour and, and actually periods of, of almost not nothing happening because we would get bored yeah. um, but actually periods of quiet amidst the chaos in order to make those moments Just, of chaos seem yeah, a little bit more exciting gen- I, I absolutely adore The Handmaid's Tale love the book love the oh, follow up Margaret book, Atwood loved all the TV series they're hard to they watch they are hard it's not even shock necessarily that they're going for they're just they pull no punches but even within that there's moments of love where you see the the handmaids and their babies there's moments of family in whatever slightly odd form that might take there's there are moments of family there is humor there is gentleness we're, we're almost coming back to that that's storytellers reflect life back at us mm. and and in order for us to understand ourselves and the human condition we we need to recognize that in even the the most dramatic tale even fantasy perhaps um i, th- I think of walt disney with his quote that's what storytellers do we restore order with imagination and we instill hope again and again so there's something about that restoring of order um uh, sort of understanding the human condition through creating um, which is quite an interesting way of rounding off where we've come from with that. Why do we need to tell stories? Mm. Why do we read? And how do we engage people with our stories? Um, I think we've we've kind of covered a really broad sweep that actually um, there's that kind of need to understand ourselves with with cre- by creating yeah. and by reading or by uh, watching or, or whatever it is, being on the receiving end of that creation. Um, Jonathan Gottschall, the author, said, we are, as a species, addicted to story. Even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up all night telling itself stories. Rather lovely. And that connects in what you said as well Mm. about sometimes your dreams taking over from reading. (laughs) So even when we go to sleep, we still want to create. Fascinating, isn't it? Um, I think that brings our podcast to a rather lovely rounded close. And I would very much like to thank my special guest, Jenny Burnham. Um, she doesn't know she's got another chunk of uh, beta reading or alpha reading even coming her way <laughs> at the end of this. So her job is not done for today. Um, but I would like to thank her for being here. And I would like to thank you, the listener, for being with us. Tea Cake Book is sponsored by Boo for all your tea and cake needs. 